Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show, where each and every Sunday I come at you to discuss the biggest issues and news events of the week. Now, before I get into today's episode, a little programming note up front, there won't be an episode next week, and that will be due to the holidays and travel and so forth. It's just that time of year where some weeks will be inconsistent and missing. So just bear with me through the holiday season. So with that out of the way, and without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Of course, this week, the biggest news item is also the most expected news item to have come out this week, and that is President Trump announcing his candidacy for the 2024 presidential race. And as such, it has been met with mixed reactions on both sides. For the left, you have the two reactions, which is either the media trying to downplay the results and produce headlines, trying to push all of the fake narratives that they have previously ran, even though they've been debunked, trying to downplay the event and trying to downplay President Trump's chances at gaining a second term with there being a one-term gap in between the first and second term. The other reaction from the left is complete meltdown. Them freaking out, demanding that he be jailed, put behind bars. For what? Don't know. They don't have any evidence of any crimes ever being committed. Now, you may be going off and saying, well, Trump is under investigation and you know he might be indicted on such and such, but we've heard that story so many times. And what happens is the investigations have all proven to be a bunch of bullshit. You know, just a cor Democrats corrupt and abusing their positions to target their political opponent, which should actually land the Democrats in prison for their criminal abuse of power in trying to target their political opponent. So you got that mixed reaction on the left, and it is predictable. Either downplay the event, try to prevent him from getting any type of attention. You know, maybe without the attention, he won't have a chance, is what may, some in the media are thinking. And then others going completely insane and so forth. So that was expected. Now, when it comes to the right, there is still some mixed reaction. And Trump is a bit of a mixed blessing. Let's make no mistake about that. I mean, he has great policies, but a lot of personal flaws. Now, personally, most of the personal flaws I don't care about because I care more about policies than personality. We've had a lot of charismatic and likable presidents that turned out to be complete garbage enacting policies that only hurt the country. And we've had presidents with less than desirable personality and likability who had really great policy and was really good for the country. And very rarely, have we ever had both in terms of great policy and likability? So what I'm going to attempt to do on this particular episode is go through the good and the bad, the pros and the cons of Trump 2024 re-election day. And the goal isn't to try and tell you what to think or how to vote or whether or not you should support Trump. That's going to be a personal decision on you. What I'm attempting to do on this particular episode is to get us thinking about weighing the potential benefits versus the potential risk and the 2024 setup so that we can, as voters, 
make a decision as far as who's most likely or best to be able to win in 2024. Because it's not just about having the great policies or the greatest policies. It's also about electability, you know, the ability to actually win. Having the greatest policies in the world wouldn't matter if the person won't be able to get into office, won't be able to garner the support that is needed. And you may be going, well, Trump's already proven he can get elected. And 2020 was the most fraudulent election ever witnessed in history. Point stipulated, true. But, you know, over time, things do change. You know, how he's handled talking about the 2022, uh, or not the 2022, but the 2020 election does matter. And as well as looking back and taking a look at the pros and the cons of his first administration, you know, his first presidential run. And it will be made more clear what I'm talking about as we go through the episode. Now, first off, ignore the fake news media, right? We're not going to allow the leftist media that runs fake news all the time to choose our candidates for us, to determine what candidates are and are not acceptable for us to vote for. If we let the media try to determine who is and isn't good for the presidency and how we should and shouldn't vote, we'll never have a good president. In fact, we might as well surrender the country if that is our thought process. It's It would be the resigning ourselves to the complete collapse of the United States and the world falling into authoritarianism. And let's just admit it right here and right now. Any candidate that is acceptable to the media, acceptable to CNN, is not a candidate we want in office. It's not a candidate that we would want to vote for because they would really be nothing more than Democrats pretending to be Republicans. So we're going to ignore the fake news media on that front. But let's not discount the fake news media's effect on being able to drum up support for whatever Democrat is running against Trump, their ability to stir up emotion, their ability to rally the left into a frenzy and motivate turnout. So while we're not going to let them decide for us who we will and will not choose as a candidate, We can't discount how our candidate choice allows the fake news media with their propaganda machine to stir up and motivate their voter base to turn out. And so we want to be able to discount their ability to encourage voter turnout on the left. The second thing we'll have to recognize as we go into 2024 is that the left is going to pull out all the stops to try and dissuade voters from Trump. It's going to be a bazillion investigation, criminal investigations, they will say, you know, just like going back to the whole Trump-Russia collusion fake news bullshit, right? They're going to come up and try to, you know, come up with all of these narratives that Trump is a criminal, Trump is going to go to jail, Trump this, that, and the other thing to try and dissuade people from voting, for them to try and depress voter turnout, and to try and shape opinion. But remember, they have already engaged in a lot of fraudulent investigations. And one of the things that we know is that the Democrats will pay people to make up false allegations in order to use those false allegations as, how should we say, president or 
as you know, excuse, reason, justification for opening up an investigation. And then it will take years to get out how it was the Democrats who knowingly put forth fake allegations and how uh, the DOJ and the FBI knew that what they were investigating was a complete farce, but they didn't care because they are utterly corrupt to the bone. So understand that as Trump runs for 2024 and has support and gains support and gains more support, that what that is going to do is create a new flood of Democrats' abuse of power to use government to target their political opponents as a means of trying to sway opinions and perception. And then, of course, going out there and talking about how the Democrats need to be investigated for their criminal activity, well, they're able to go off and say, oh, see, you know, that's the political targeting, that's, you know, revenge. And so as Trump goes through and he talks about the deep state and draining the swamp and clearing out the corruption of the FBI, he is going to have to be very articulate and clear about it all, right? He can't afford to just go off the cuff and just make wild comments while entertaining can be used for the left-wing propaganda machine. And I know that the left's going to claim that they have found so much evidence, so much evidence of criminal corruption and so forth, just like they were trying to say during the whole Trump-Russia collusion bullshit, just like they have on any other investigation. They'll come up and say they have witnesses that turn out to have absolutely no real information or evidence to anything. But just know that that's going to happen. Now, that in and of itself shouldn't dissuade us from voting for or supporting Trump. We just need to make sure that we understand what we are getting into here, that while Trump has good policies, he's also a lightning rod for Trump derangement syndrome, and that the left is going to go completely bananas, And the fake news and government abuse of power to target political opponents will be off the scale. Now, with that said, I'm going to be going through the good, the bad, and then probably give you kind of a final analysis on the good so that we can weigh our decision. So starting off with the good, the obvious one is the return of Trump's policy. That means it would be a return to economic recovery a return to an economic boom and rising income. It will be the return of energy independence and lower gas costs. It would be a return to lower prices in general. And it would be a return to financial security for not only the country, but for we, the citizen. As we right now, too many people are living paycheck to paycheck. Inflation has erased all of the financial gains under the Trump administration, all of the raises that people gained under the Trump administration, all wiped out in the last two years by the complete incompetency of the Biden administration. There are hate-filled policies that are purposely designed to destroy the country. And so a return to Trump's policy and all of that is definitely a good reason to vote for Trump. And with those policies, it would be the end of massive inflation and stagflation. 
I know that the Democrats want to try and find a way to blame Trump for it, even though under Trump we had nothing but an economic boom and next to no inflation. And inflation and the state of the economy only deteriorated after Biden had been in office for a little while, destroying jobs, destroying uh, the currency, and so forth. But being able to end inflation and stagflation would be one of the you know, best things. So even if you couldn't get back to a booming economy with rising income right away, just ending inflation would be a massive improvement financially for most households in the United States. And with that economic boom would be the rise of Main Street businesses again. The small business owner that under Biden has been suffering as Biden enacting regulation after regulation and his policies are designed to protect the mega businesses. You know, the top 1% or top 5% in this country who are also big Democrat mega donors. See, when Democrats are in office, they do everything that they can to try and crush the middle class and crush small businesses. There's a reason why all the mega corporations are leftists, leftist donors. And that is they know that with the left in place, they will enact crushing regulation, which all the big businesses are happy to pay the cost to comply with because they view it as protection money. No differently than decades ago, small businesses paying the mob for protection. They view it no differently. It's the cost of doing business, plus it crushes any and all competition. So if you had, let's say, one mega business, and under Republicans, policies are such that you know the cost of entry into that industry was very low. Competition was you know rising. And it wasn't just one competitor, but it could be hundreds of competitors. And they could all be very profitable on the small business level. Hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, maybe a few million dollars a year. And that is all eating in to the mega businesses' potential profit if they had a monopoly. So what do they do? They get Democrats into office who enact a bunch of regulations and policies designed to create barriers to entry and crush those small businesses. And as those small businesses go under, under Democrats, well, what alternative is there? The big mega corporation that is left. And so we'll be able to see with the economic boom as with Trump, if he gets back in uh, to office and is able to reenact his policies, we'll be able to see the return of mega corporations. Now, I've discussed how the left, a lot of their actions from the Antifa and Black Lives Matter terrorist riots of 2020, well, they tried justifying it on George Floyd, which is a whole other issue, and tried to call it a protest. It was really an attack on small businesses, and who profited from all of that was the mega corporation. But being able to go through and see People, once again, being able to go after the American dream. That is what made Trump's first term so great in terms of policy. It was the return of the American dream, the entrepreneurship. And it wasn't just one business controls everything, as it tends to be the case when Democrats are in charge. And beyond the economic policy, it will be back to ending the open border back to stopping the invasion of the United States. Now, I know the left wants to go off and say, oh, invasion, 
illegal immigration, all of that. These are white supremacist terms. Yeah, the, the left, whenever they have no argument, they have no facts, no data, just mindlessly calls everything white supremacist, racist, sexist, whatever, in order to try and shut down debate because the facts are never on the side of the Democrat. And the open border policy of the left is dangerous to the United States. In fact, it is harmful and crushing the United States on so many levels. One, there's an increase of identity theft. I mean, the people need to be able to go through and find a way to get documents to, you know, even if they're forged documents, in order to be able to get jobs. Well, what happens as they go off and they get jobs? Well, it increases competition for those jobs, which keeps wages depressed. Now, I know you're going off and maybe you heard a leftist talk about, oh, the unemployment rate is so low. But what is the labor participation rate? See, this is one of the cons of just looking at the unemployment rate, is that if a person you know, gives up looking for a job and stops applying and just you know, resides themselves to just staying home and living off of welfare, well, they're no longer counted as unemployed. So that reduces the unemployment rate. And when you take a look at the unemployment rate as well, one person holding down two jobs is still counted the same as two people holding down one job each. And so when you take a look at illegal immigration and the open border policy of the left, it's vastly increasing the supply of labor. Well, the more that the labor supply is vastly exceeding the jobs available, wages stay depressed. They don't go up. And people end up giving up on finding a job or doing anything. And therefore, the labor participation rate has tanked. There are more people who aren't even bothering to look for a job now than there has been. Well, I would like to say it's a record high, but you know, maybe it's about at where it was back when Obama was in office, really, really high. And when Obama was in office, it was at decades record. So I guess the fact that Obama was so bad is keeping Biden from setting new records because Obama already set those records. But being able to go down and shut down the border and actually enforce immigration law is not only good for the economy in terms of reducing competition for jobs, but it's also good on the fact that we won't have to spend government taxpayer money to support illegal immigrants. I mean, when they come over here, who do you think has to shell out the money for food and shelter while the Democrats are processing to give them illegally work authorization permits, right? Because let's face it, someone illegally crosses the border, anything that the Democrats do to help them stay in the country is aiding and abetting. But who do you think is taking care of them? Food and shelter, clothing all while they are being processed and then being set to be legally released into the interior of the country. It is us. And while they are waiting for all of that, it is a huge burden on us. And we got to be wondering why it is that we are putting more focus on supporting financially illegal immigrants in this country, which, by the way, once they get work authorization, they're technically as far as the Democrats are concerned, not illegal anymore. They're not undocumented. 
anymore, which opens up all types of welfare benefit to them. Meanwhile, what are we doing um, with our own citizens? We're ignoring you know, the financial struggles of our own citizens, or at least the Democrats are, and that of veterans. You know, the amount of homeless veterans and, you know, struggling veterans are just struggling citizens being ignored for those who are crossing the border illegally as the Democrats are going off for their great replacement. And of course, they're admitting the youngest of the population and mostly men, but also, you know, for the women admitted, you know, making sure that they're young as well, of procreation age. You know, that way, when they decide, when they end up having kids, you know, the Democrats can fraudulently give their kids U.S. citizenship status. And that's all part of the Great Replacement. Now, there's nothing in the law or the Constitution that gives the children of illegal immigrants citizenship. It was, what was it? Uh, was it Jimmy Carter that just wrote an executive order to reinterpret the Constitution as if the two qualification for being a born citizen is now just location, location. You know, he's redefined the term. So being able to shut down the border would be a good thing there. It also provides protection shutting down the border. Protection from what? Well, a lot of criminals come across the borders. Rapists, murderers, not all of them, not the majority of those who cross the border. But let's say here you have I don't know. Um, let's make up a number here. Let's say you have 2 million people illegally crossing the border. And out of those 2 million people, let's say 1% of them are criminals, rapists, murderers, thieves. That's 20,000 of them that would be coming into the country. 20,000. Okay, so let's take a look at that on a per state basis, per state, that can be divided up to 400 of them per state of criminals. 400 murderers and rapists and so forth per state can cause a lot of damage. It can hurt a lot of people because usually it takes more than one instance for them to get caught. One random act of violence isn't enough of a pattern to be able to catch who they are. Now, of course, that also depends on, you know, what evidence they leave behind, but you get the point here. And so that being able to shut down the border along with his economic policies are really, really good. The next good item here, uh, and this before we start getting into some of the negatives, is continuing the progress that was made in his first administration for peace in the Middle East. You know, a peaceful Middle East is good for global security, as well as good for the security of the United States in general. So being able to continue along that process. Now, the Democrats, for whatever reason, seem intent, focused, cheerful about the prospect of fully funding Iran, who literally chants death to America. You know, so any country in the Middle East that is chanting death to America, wants to attack us, wants to kill us, the left is out there thinking, these are the greatest people ever. Let's give them a whole bunch of money. Let's fund their ability to kill us. Meanwhile, the Republicans, and especially under Trump, was able to negotiate peace, creating a more stable Middle East, which is good for international security, but also for containing countries like Iran. 
and maybe being able to contain and settle down the effects of Joe Biden's botched and horrible withdrawal from Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, and Afghanistan. You know, his complete botched uh, botchery of all of that is, yeah. You know, I mean, the left, you know, you want to go about conversations on candidate quality. You know, they rewarded a political party by preventing, you know, too many losses, even though they abandoned American citizens in a foreign hostile country when they pulled out, leading to the death of American citizens, funded terrorists by leaving behind millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of military equipment. And the left not only still shows up and votes for them, but will vote for them even though one of them is literally brain damaged. Heck, they even voted for one who was actually dead, right? So the conversations about candidate quality mean nothing. It's just an excuse by the rhino class who basically sell us out at every opportunity and gives us no reason to show up and vote because we don't like the rhino class, but they seem to be intent on working against us in support of the Democrats. So those are some of the good. Now let's get into some of the negative. So the first negative I think we could probably agree on here, no matter where you fall on the whole support Trump, not support Trump, is that Trump is a really bad judge of character. He, he has praised and appointed people that, with few exceptions, turned out to be a bunch of backstabbing rhinos who were working with the Democrats against the Trump administration, and against conservatives. So remember you know, how the DOJ and the FBI, and the FBI you know, were set and ready to target parents as terrorists for daring to question the school board and what it is they're trying to force on the kids? Well, take a look at the FBI director. Who appointed the current FBI director? Hmm, Trump. And that guy turned out to be, you know, Christopher Ray, that Trump appointee, turned about just as bad or worse than James Comey, right? So that is kind of a bad, you know, judgment call there. Let's take a look at some of the judicial appointments. You know, so Trump had a lot of judicial appointments that he had made. And what happened? Well, during the 2020 election, despite being the most fraudulent and unconstitutionally conducted election in history, none of those judges had a backbone. They, wouldn't, they, they didn't want to hear the case. They, they were too afraid of the left to allow the case to actually go and be adjudicated. They just dismissed it all, claiming, you do not have standing for such a case. And we can go all the way down the line to Mike Pence, his selection for the vice presidency. And Mike Pence is, you know, nothing more than a political weasel. He's just trying to figure out which way the wind was blowing, and he goes that way. So back in 2016, Mike Pence was selected as Trump's running mate, you know, hand-selected by Trump. And of course, you know, he at the time saw which way the wind was blowing and rode Trump's uh, coattails all the way up into the vice presidency. But then after a fraudulent 2020 election, what happened? 
he completely stabs everyone in the back. He had the power and authority to send the to send everything back to the state for them to for the state legislature to determine what to do about the fraudulent election. And he did nothing. He did nothing of the sort. And as time has gone on, we see Pence has gotten worse and worse. Now he's going on all the leftist news channels and promoting a book. Right? He's going out there promoting a book. And of course, only the leftist channels are really going through, giving him a lot of time. And he's enjoying them kissing his butt and everything. And then when it comes down to the question of Trump, well, Pence goes out there and tries throwing Trump under the bus. I mean, he tries to weasel out of saying no against Trump or whatever, but he keeps trying to allude to, oh, there will be better candidates. So, you know, I'm not sure who I would support, yada, yada, yada. I mean, so when we take a look at it from Christopher Ray to Mike Pence, the people that Trump has selected, you know, and given praise to in the past while they were kissing his butt have all turned out to be really horrible people working against the Trump administration, working against the conservative movement. They've all been a bunch of backstabbing weasel rhinos. And so, yes, Trump does have bad judge of character. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody he appointed was bad. No, no. There, there were a few good ones, but the few good ones were very rare. In fact, you know, what is it? Maybe he only had one or two good picks. You know, one, two really good picks, and everybody else was really bad. So his bad judge of character needs to be taken into consideration. Another thing that I would point out as a negative is Trump's attack on fellow Republicans. Now, look, I know I can go out there and talk about, you know, the rhino classes, you know, Mitch McConnell and so forth. And there's not really a problem to that, you know, on me. I'm not running for the president. Therefore, I don't have to work with these people to try and get anything passed or any agenda through because I'm not in office. Now, we can probably take a look at Trump during the 2016 uh, primaries and take a look at him during the you know, general election to just shortly after the election when he gets into office and take a look at all the things that he would say about the Republican leadership, you know, how he would attack, you know, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, you know, and so forth. You know, whenever, you know, maybe they didn't, you know, blindly, you know, praise him or whatever the case is, or wasn't getting things done as fast as what Trump was wanting them to get done. I'm guessing that he had made a lot of enemies within the Republican establishment. Look, I know we don't like the Republican establishment, but until we can get them replaced, we do need to be able to work with them. And going off and attacking them, you know, one, damages the party and the image of the party, you know, but two, it creates more opposition as the rhino class are just as petty as the Democrat Party. You know, and an example of this is remember when we were within a hair length ability to repeal the disaster that was Obamacare, or that is Obama, and we lost it by one vote. And that was John McCain, right? How much of 
you know, that went on just because the establishment and those in the House and the Senate just really didn't like Trump and wanted to get at him or was just working against Trump's policy agenda as a way of getting back at him for something he said about them. You know, these are petty people. And so he does create a lot of opposition, not just from the Democrats, but from within the Republican establishment that he needs to be able to work with in order to get things through. And his need to go through and you know respond to anything that he deems as a slight or an insult or you know an attack on him, you know, is a drawback. You know, as he goes back and counterattacks. Now I get that he's being attacked by a bunch of narcissists that attack him, and then when he responds, they claim to be the victim. I get that. But he also needs to understand that sometimes the best response is no response verbally, you know, especially within the Republican Party responding to other Republicans. Now, that doesn't mean ignore all of them, but it does mean that he needs to spend some more time thinking and deciding which ones are actually worthy of a response and which ones are not. So the friendly fire and creating resentment within uh, the Republican Party among those that he needs to work with in order to get things passed is a bit of a drawback. He needs to understand that he d- that not to be so quick on the friendly fire, even if those particular people deserve it. Now, another drawback is on the culture war. And Trump being blind to any of the issues that did not personally affect him. So when you go through and you take a look at, you know, 2016 and 2016 to 2018, while we and the conservative movement were trying to get his attention about the issue of online censorship, deplatforming, and all of that, he did nothing. He didn't really talk about it. He didn't propose any legislation. He didn't try to motivate any legislation. He didn't go after the companies that were engaged in online censorship. He did nothing because it didn't personally affect him. And you can say that on just about any of the culture issues that we in the base were facing, you know, from the deplatforming on social media to payment processors to woke indoctrination of the public schools to cancel culture. He did nothing, addressed nothing about it because he didn't think that it would personally affect him and he wasn't paying attention to how it would affect the entire country long term. And then we get into his speech, right? His public speaking. Now, while that is yes, wildly entertaining, he is careless with his speech and gives the Democrats too much, I wouldn't say ammo, but too much to work with in their editing of the speech in order to make a false narrative. You know, when it comes to Republicans and Republican candidates, we have to make sure that we are very careful and very precise with the language and the speech that we are using. If we don't, the left will be able to easily edit out anything that they want in order to push a false narrative. An example of that was when the media had edited a speech in order to try and make the claim that Trump was calling coronavirus, COVID-19, a big hoax. 
Now, he was addressing the media narrative and how the media was trying to say that he wasn't doing enough and so forth. I get that. But with the way he set it up and how he went about it, gave the left the ability to easily edit the video in order to try and make a false narrative that he was calling COVID-19 a hoax. So his carelessness with speech and you know the people that, not necessarily the people, but the way in which he'll go out after people you know, and mock some people does provide ammo and fodder for the left to be able to go off and, you know, right or wrong, be able to shape false narrative and drive away voters that would otherwise support him. So we got to make sure that we understand the flaws that go in with Trump. Now, initially in the first campaign, hey, you know, that was great. You know, he was an outsider. You know, he wasn't, you know, a career politician. He had a lot of following, you know, so forth. And we wanted to get away from the career politician. But in re-election, it's a different story. You can't run a re-election campaign like you do for the initial campaign. You have to be able to show that you have grown, that you, you know, have been able to become, you know, the image of presidential while being able to push good policies. The carelessness of the speech, the personal attacks especially on fellow Republicans, regardless of if they deserve it or not, that, you know, is drawback as they weaken him as a candidate and allow for the media to be able to manipulate the narrative. With those drawbacks being said, there are still some additional good things that we can take from the idea of Trump running again in 2024 and potentially running. One, In a second term, with everything that the left has done, Trump is more motivated than anybody else, more motivated than ever, to finally go after and take out the deep state. You know, he talked about draining the swamp in in his first presidential bid, but he never got around to actually doing anything to make good on that promise of draining the swamp. Seeing how the swamp has personally gone after him and his family, even after leaving office, knowing that they will forever harass and you know go after him so long as he remains engaged in politics, has made Trump more motivated than any other candidate than, that you can possibly imagine to go after the deep state, to go after the corruption of the FBI, the corruption of the Department of Justice, the corruption of various government agencies, as well as going after Democrats at the state level for any potential federal crime, you know, of corruption, abuse of power, and so forth. So no one's more motivated than him to take out the deep state and hold Democrats accountable for their criminal activity and abuse of power. No one is more motivated now to go after and end online censorship and speech suppression, seeing how he was, you know, deplatformed himself in so many areas, and seeing how when starting up his own social media company in order to keep it listed in the Google Play Store and the Apple Store, how you know they are able to still force censorship, even on places like Truth Social, where they can go through and go, oh yeah, we allow you to put it on there, it's just no one's going to be allowed to see it here and there, and so forth. They still have to agree to 
much of the terms of left-wing censorship in order to be able to remain in the app store. So a Trump second term at this point makes him more motivated than anybody else to go after the deplatforming, go after the speech suppression and political censorship online and start stripping the actors such as Facebook and, and Google and uh, Apple and so forth, those who claim to be a platform and go after them and uh, completely eliminate their ability to force their speech censorship on everybody or be removed from the app store. Now, you're, you may be going, well, they're a private company. They should be able to determine what is and isn't available. No, they are a platform. Between Apple and Google, they pretty much control everybody's phone. And them going off and using that control to determine what you can and cannot say. The fact that those two companies pretty much control almost everybody's phone, and they're saying, well, you can't say this. You can't say that. And any company that allows you to say that will be removed from your phone so that you won't be able to access the content or be able to say what it is you want to say. That's not acting as a platform. That's acting as a censor. That's acting as a publisher. And so Trump is more motivated than pretty much anybody else to be able to go after online censorship and speech suppression. Now, will he be as motivated to go after woke cult? culture, go after the school indoctrination of kids using federal taxpayer dollars to engage in partisan political activities within the school. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure he would have any motivation or would do anything about that. Now, would Ron DeSantis? Sure, we could see him probably doing that, going after the schools and so forth. But will Ron DeSantis do anything about online censorship? I don't know. So if you're thinking, well, Ron DeSantis is a good alternative, yes, he's done some good things and he has some good policies and he's gone after things that don't personally affect him, but affect the residents of Florida, which is within his authority. But I haven't really seen him do anything or propose anything. Of course, I don't know if he would, but I haven't even, or if he would have the authority, but I also haven't heard him talk much about it, about online censorship and what they could do if he was president, on being able to you know, eliminate the political and speech censorship online. So don't get me wrong. It's not like there are other politicians out there who are covering everything that needs to be covered. But I'm just saying, while Trump may be more motivated than anybody else to go after the deep state and online censorship, there are other areas, critical areas of the culture war in which Trump still hasn't said much about and hasn't articulated over the past couple of years what he would do about it if he got a second term. So we have to make sure that we understand that. Now, of course, no one's also more motivated than Trump to go after election fraud, to be able to go after and stop the Democrats' election fraud machine. No one's more motivated than Trump for that, seeing what happened in 2020. And so that I would say is another plus, being able to clean up the integrity of our election system. But that also requires him to be able to gain enough votes during the election to overcome the Democrats' election fraud machine. And he wasn't able to do that in 2020. Now, if I were to go back and take a look at a negative, 
it would be that it was under Trump's administration that the Democrats were able to pull off a coup through election fraud. And he wasn't able to do anything or stop it or in any way address it. Now, I get that doesn't fall entirely on his lap, but the fact that he had waited until after the election in order to stop the illegal election activities now is of a concern. Okay. And then the last thing I would say on the good here is that this would be his second term, his last term, which means he doesn't have to worry about holding back in order to seek re-election. He has nothing to lose. So he can go full bore on cleaning up the corruption of government agencies, to dismantling the deep state, to ending online censorship, to going full in on ending woke culture and the forcing of woke, woke culture on the population. You know, as far as you know, employers enforcing it as part of their training, even though that training violates discrimination laws, even though, you know, we can go right on down the line, you know, and say, hey, second term, nothing to lose. He can go full bore and doesn't have to worry about reelection, meaning that the stuff that he is more motivated and has more reason to go after something also means that there is very little that would stop him from actually going after it. So Trump, when it comes through, there are some good things and there are some bad things. It's a bit of a mixed blessing. And so it's not so clear cut as far as whether or not he would be automatically supported in an automatic win in the Republican primary. And we got to take a look at, let's say Trump wins the Republican primary, how much you know damage from friendly fire will there be and how that will affect the 2024 election. And then we also have to try and take a look at whether or not, based off of what we have seen, whether or not Trump with his personality would be able to keep the media from being able to suppress votes or turn off voters with their false narratives, given that Trump does give the impression at times of those false narratives having some truth to it. So it, it is a mixed blessing with Trump. You got great policies, but a less than desirable personality. Me, I don't really care about personality, but we have to make an honest assessment. Now, based off of this, maybe you've come up with a few other things that land on the good side. Maybe you've come up with a few other things that land on the bad side. We're not going to be able to cover everything, but we need to make sure that we not only focus on 2024 taking back the presidency, the House, and the Senate, and we want to be able to do so with overwhelming majorities, super majorities, to be able to ram through actual conservative policies. But we also have to make sure that who we select as president, you know, who we put up in the general election, you know, that if they win, that they are able to stay focused on the issues that matter most, won't get distracted, and are actually motivated to fight for us, the people. Now, Trump fits most of that, but I sometimes question his ability to stay focused on the big issue, on the culture issues uh, that affect us and that will impact the country more long-term than the short-term policy. Because we've seen how fast a Democrat, once they get into office, can reverse everything. 
you know, can once again re-implement mass regulations and the economy of crushing policy. We've seen that and how they can go through and keep getting reelected despite the fact that they destroy the economy because of woke culture, what they're doing in the school and online censorship. So we need to keep an eye out on and an open mind for any other candidate that come out and then gauge. Could someone have all of the benefits of Trump without any of the drawbacks? Is anybody more motivated or is Trump the best selection? We got to make sure that we are not getting into cults of personality. And, you know, I understand how sweet it would be to get him back in there, the revenge, and how he would really go through and finish what he had initially started and promised and so forth. I understand that, but we just need to make sure that we evaluate him as far as 2024 goes and the setup for 2024 and the realities of 2024 and not just go by 2016, right? So how he goes about, you know, the campaign, his public speeches, the issues that he brings up that he will be addressing, that's what we need to remain focused on. I don't care about personality personally, but I want to make sure that, you know, the policies that he's focused on is not policies that can be easily undone and, you know, by the next Democrat that takes off. Okay. So whether you agree with my assessment or not, maybe you think I missed a few items or maybe you think this is good. You know, I want you to just, you know, keep a clear head about it. And make sure that everybody that decides to run, you know, you will evaluate fairly because we only get one shot every four years of picking the best potential person available for the president to try and push back on the leftist agenda of tearing this country down for their new world order. All right. So that's it uh, for this episode. Remember, there won't be an episode next week. So. Now, it just is what it is with the holidays, right? So there won't be an episode next week. I'll be back the week after that for another episode. Thank you so much for listening and have a good week.